0: wanted to show you this video because the Book of Lamentations, although it's poetry, it's a it's a historical account of something that actually happened to the city of Jerusalem about 500 years before Jesus. And uh, I was in Texas two years ago. My uh, husband's mother's house was hit by Hurricane Harvey. One wall was sheared off and the roof fell in. And um, this is her neighborhood. And as I drove uh, around, I'm not kidding you, for miles and miles and miles, there was devastation. And I think it's important for us to think about um, people who are experiencing devastation. It helps us relate to the Book of Lamentations. So if you think about the people who uh, these poems were written about, they experienced material loss, like the loss of their city, but they experienced so much more. They experienced the loss of everything they knew, their entire culture, their religion, their, their homes, their families. People were carted off into exile. It was is, is like, if you, I wonder if, if they were us, if we would look at each other and we would say something like, everything's gone. Everything that makes us, us, Is gone that's the people that these poems were written about so there are a bunch of things about the Book of Lamentation that are hard to um, read they're hard to connect with I'm going to tell you just a few the first one it's it's poetry so if you're a little bit like me it's hard to connect with poetry sometimes so we have to read it as a poem we can't read it as history Um, there are three characters in in the five poems there's a narrator There's a woman who is the personification of the city of Jerusalem. She's portrayed, Jerusalem's portrayed as a woman and then there's a man. And we're mainly gonna look at the narrator and the woman tonight. Um, There's another problem with the book of Lamentation and it's that we have almost nothing in common with ancient Middle Eastern Hebrews. Almost nothing. And that makes it really difficult for us to connect with them. Um, But we have one very important thing in common with them. They're human. And so are we. So uh, we we can learn a lot when we can um, engage a lot. We can interact a lot. We can get a lot from the visual imagery and Lamentations. Um, so a couple disclaimers: I've only read the Book of Lamentation one time before I prepped for this teaching. Like it was when I read through the Bible in a year, and then I felt really good about myself. Um, but I've never I'd never gone back to it since then. And um, so that's new. And I think it's probably because of this next thing about me. It's really packed with emotion. And um, there are a few people in my family who call me an emotional robot. So that's great. (laughs) Um, A couple of them like it that I'm an emotional robot, but I don't cry very often. And when I do, it kind of freaks my family out a little bit. Um, I tend to keep the feels, as Sarah Rocco calls them, on lockdown. Uh, So consider me just like a co-learner along with you guys. So, the Book of Lamentation is really challenging, but it will help us become more human if we can connect with it. And it will help us um, connect with the emotions in our life. So, we need to do that. We need to learn to connect with the emotions in our life. We need to learn to authentically respond to the experiences of our life. And we need to get better at recognizing the experiences, the response that other people have to their life, other communities and other nations. And uh, that's what it means to be followers of Jesus. So we're gonna do that. We're gonna look at especially the parts of life that come all wrapped up in pain, grief, and loss. So we're gonna just dig in. What is lament? Lament is action that brings grief, loss, pain, hardship out into the open. It shines a light on it. So, so, that it, uh, so that we can see whatever's in the way of humans thriving. That's what, it, that's what it is. The act of lament breaks down denial. It breaks down denial by creating space in your life, in your heart, in your community, um, so that people can acknowledge, they can look at, they can shine this light on grief and loss. I'm pretty sure the Hebrews were the first people to say denial isn't just a river in Egypt okay? <laughs> we, but we live in denial. Um, we live in denial when it comes to lament. We've never, ever learned to lament. So I was reading about the book of Lamentations, because obviously I don't know that much about it, and there was a really good book. It was written by Car- Kathleen O'Connor, and she said, in the dominant culture of the United States, that's us, we see public and private stoicism as a sign of dignity and strength. So, stoicism, what does that mean? It means the endurance of pain or hardship without a display of feelings and without complaint. It sounds a little bit like a lot of the people I know, and it sounds a lot like me. So, what does our denial actually look like? So, I have a friend. She lives right next door to me. We have been friends for over 20 years. We've been in a life group together at Orchard Hill Church for 20 years. Her father died Monday night. And when I brought her some soup on Tuesday so I could give her a hug, she apologized to me three times for crying about her dad's death. Three times. We've been friends for 20 years. Why do we do that? Why do we apologize for the emotional experience of like losing her dad? What's that about? And I think it's about a couple things. I think for her, her brain was telling her, your dad is really old. So you shouldn't feel that emotional about your dad dying. We do that to ourselves all the time. We use our intellect to deny our honest responses to grief, pain, and loss. We equate denying true feelings with with being strong and being uh, powerful people in the world. We do another thing, though. We deny our feelings about our life because we think it shows that we have strong faith, okay? So our friend Bradley Reese, he's going to be leading worship here in a little while. When he was a student at UNI, he uh, was diagnosed with cancer, and he went through chemotherapy treatments. Um, During that time, Bradley couldn't even put his own shoes on by himself. Alex, his girlfriend at the time, who's now his wife, had to come to his dorm room and put his shoes on so he could go to class. Bradley felt during this time like he, if he was a good Christian, he should be the kind of person that would take his guitar to chemotherapy with him so he could worship with other cancer patients. That should kind of make us want to throw up a little bit. He knew it was a messed up thought. He knew that that wasn't what he was supposed to do, but the thought actually came into his mind kind of like, oh, wouldn't that be a really bright light to shine for Jesus? Wouldn't that be a testimony to Bradley's spiritual maturity? We do not understand lament. Bradley's response, his real response to cancer and the treatments he was getting wasn't some repressive, cheerful, Christian kumbaya in a hospital waiting room. It was grief. Bradley was experiencing cancer with a lot of grief and pain and loss. So we live in denial about our honest responses to our real-life experiences. Now, this is just the truth. If you live in denial long enough, eventually your pain, your grief, and your loss is gonna come out sideways. We isolate ourselves by turning away from our family and our friends and God, and instead of responding to real life, we, uh, we buy something, We watch something, we smoke something, we cut ourselves off from God, and sometimes we even literally cut our own bodies. My first big denial of the emotional impact of my life was when I got pregnant in high school. That's right, it was a really big scandal. As you can imagine, I remember feeling so guilty, so guilty, mostly guilty about what this was gonna do to my child, I couldn't believe that before this baby was even born, life was gonna be so unfair to him. I was 18 years old, I was unmarried. My friends and I were going to France that summer. So my friends were getting ready to go to France and I'm trying to figure out what it looks like to be a mom, to get to work enough so that I can afford life, so I can go to college and I just did not let myself feel. I was not gonna feel. All I could think about is this really sucks to be born to an unwed teenage mom. And I'm gonna do whatever it takes for this not to affect him, for that he will be able to get what he needs. It didn't matter how I felt about anything. You know the crazy part about this? After Nick was born, people were super impressed with me. They were like, she goes to work, she goes to school, she goes to church, she's amazing. I was a criminology major, I took great care of Nick. What nobody knows, is that when I put Nick to bed at night, every night when he was two years old for a year, I went over to my neighbor's house and smoked pot with him. Did I mention I was a criminology major? (laughs) Denial of our true experience of our life always makes our pain, our grief, our loss come out sideways. So what does this look like for you? What does this look like? What does this denial look like for you? Because it's really important that you know it's really important that you can begin to recognize it and you can begin to move away from using it as a coping skill because it isn't going to work for very long lament breaks down denial by creating space within us and within other communities and other people to acknowledge grief pain and loss And I'll tell you what, if you begin reading the book of Lamentations, you will see that there is no room for denial in Lamentations. It's crazy. It's a poem. It's like this crazy visual imagery. Um, One of the interesting parts about the poem is it takes nine verses for the woman to speak. So if you want to move to Lamentations, you can. It's kind of like in the middle of the Bible. It's after Jeremiah, I'm pretty sure. Okay, so it takes her a long while to get her voice. But when she does, she says this. Oh, where are you? This is, I believe, in, I can't even read the numbers, nine, one nine. She says, Look, Lord, on my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. And then a few verses later in 13, sorry, you're still trying to get there. It's not easy. It's like halfway. It's after Jeremiah. Because it's only one more verse, and then I'm going to be done, and then you guys are going to be like, oh, I just got there. Okay. So she says, look, Lord, look at me. My enemies have triumphed. And then in 13, she says, and she's, now she's talking about God. She says, from on high, he sent fire, and he sent it down into my bones. She is not afraid to bring her real, authentic, Honest response to what's going on around her and she doesn't try to make it sound more Religious and she doesn't try to make it sound smooth. She just says what's in her heart and her mind So I told you that I struggle with denial when it comes to, re- to negative feelings and emotions and I like to keep everything positive and uh, Healthy and I don't dwell on the bad parts and I like to look on the bright side and I say things to myself like I, I got this I totally got this It's fine. We're all going to be fine. And if you know me, you've probably heard me say that before. But I also get overwhelmed. And I want to curl up. And I want to give up sometimes. But I have a place that I go when I feel like that. And it's the bottom step on my basement stairs. And I've done this in every house I've ever lived in. The bottom step on my basement stairs is the place where I go to lament. And this is what it sounds like. I just let it all out, I ugly cry, it's ugly. And I let it all out, I direct it toward God and and I usually say something like, I need you to be real. I just, I need you to be real. I cannot do this without you and I need you to be real. I'm so scared, I'm so overwhelmed, I don't know what to do next. And then I just say, help me, please help me. And then I ugly cry some more. And then when I stand up from that bottom step, It's weird, but I feel stronger, I have more power, and I also feel really, really tired, and my eyes are red, and my nose is running, and I desperately need a nap, and I feel all those things at the same time, because lament is really hard, and it's costly, it costs energy, it costs time, it costs vulnerability. Somebody might walk in to the basement while you're there, ugly crying, but it makes you feel more human, and it makes you feel a lot less like a robot. So if you are lamenting, you know that you are alive. Do you have a bottom step? Really? Do you have a place where you can lament? Where is it? You need to find it. You desperately need to find it. Maybe for you it's a person, but people aren't always there. Maybe for you it's writing music or listening to music or writing in a journal, or dancing, or going in a kayak, or going out in the woods, or putting your hammock up somewhere and just letting it rip, just letting it go. You need to find your basement step where you can lament. What if this was actually one of the most important life skills that you learn in college? It could be true. There should be credit for it. Like, I have my lament place. I've been there six times. If you go seven times, you get extra credit, or something like that. (laughs) Because lamenting directly to God restores human dignity, and it gives us power. Okay, so lament breaks down denial by creating space in us, space in communities to acknowledge grief and loss. If we can do it directly to God, you're going to feel human, you're going to feel alive, you're going to feel like you have dignity and power. And lamenting allows you to be heard by a compassionate listener, So if you read through Lamentations starting in chapter 1, you'll notice that the narrator moves from being a distant reporter. You know how we've seen all those reporters in all of these tragedies in Puerto Rico and Florida and Texas? Just a distant reporter reporting the facts. He won't stop talking about how bad things are and how much the woman deserves the pain, grief, and loss that she's suffering. But then something really interesting happens. After the woman starts to speak, something changes in the narrator and you'll begin to see it until finally in lamentations 213 this should be easier to find cuz it's probably just the next page in lamentations 213 oh it's three pages for me this is what happens in the narrator he says what can i say for you he's talking to the woman what with what Can I compare you, daughter Jerusalem, to what can I liken you that I may comfort you, virgin daughter Zion? Your wound is as deep as the sea. Who can heal you? Your wound is as deep as the sea. He's saying, I see you. I have looked. I see what's happened to you. It's really really bad. And if I could comfort you, I would. Your wound is as deep as the sea, but there is no one here to comfort you. What does it feel like to, become, to have somebody say that to you, to have somebody say, your wound is as deep as the sea? What would those words even mean to you? Do you remember all that angst I had about being an unwed teenage mom and all the guilt I felt about what it meant for my baby and how hard I was going to have to work to make sure he didn't pay for some of my choices? Well, when Nick was born, he was really sick, and he uh, couldn't breathe on his own, he couldn't eat on his own, he couldn't maintain his own body temperature, and within a couple of hours, he was taken by ambulance to Iowa City. And I kept it together all day. And then I went to bed, my family went home, And uh, I lay in bed without my baby and I had no idea how he was doing and I began to cry. I began to cry from worry and fear and guilt and shame and I couldn't stop. And I had a C-section and crying like that after a C-section really hurts. It was horrible. And then my roommate, this was way back like in the 80s when you had a roommate when you went to the hospital and even after you had a baby but it was okay because I hit the roommate jackpot. My roommate heard me cry, and she had just had a baby. And she came and she sat beside me and held my hand for what seemed like all night. And it was like holding the hand of Jesus. She heard my lament, and she was compassionate to me. Because when we open up lament, we get a compassionate listener. We don't always, and a lot of people in the world don't, but sometimes we do. But Nick, Nick was fine. He was in the hospital for a little while. He's 29 years old now, and although he lives with Prader-Willi syndrome, if you would ask Nick, he would tell you that he loves his life. He's actually a small business owner, and I have a few cards for his business. If you would like to come and have him collect your empty cans and bottles, and he will return them for the refund. It's called—did I say it's called nickels and dimes? Come get a card. You can. um, It's great. So Nick loves his life. But as a mom, it's really hard to watch him navigate the things that sometimes get in the way of him thriving. It's really hard to know how to help him, and it's hard to know how to handle my response when I watch him struggle. But he's a wonderful person, and I'm so proud to be his mom. So when you think about this part of my journey, this woman helped me Lament. She helped by being a compassionate listener. And there have been a lot of other people like that in my life. So, lament does a lot of stuff. It opens up some space for us to lament. If we do it directly to God, we get dignity and power. It allows, um, our pain actually allows people to be compassionate and to hear us. And the, the last thing is my favorite. Lament opens a way toward healing. So, early in the book, of Lamentations, that the narrator is this detached reporter, and at one point in 1-9, the narrator pretty much calls the woman a whore in a filthy skirt. Let's read it. So go to 1-9. Her filthiness clung to her skirts. She did not consider her future. Her fall was astounding. There was no one to comfort her. Have you ever experienced anything like this? Somebody talking about you like this? Has anyone ever called you the equivalent of a whore in a dirty skirt? Have you ever felt like this in the church? Has anyone ever made you feel like an outsider or shamed you? Has anyone ever made you feel like you deserve the pain, grief, or loss that you're suffering, you're going through? Has anyone made your pain worse? by throwing in some good name-calling to add to the mix. And I know that some of you have experienced this. Some of you have actually told me about it, and I have too. It was a really long time ago, and I think it might have hurt my mom more than it hurt me at the time. But uh, what it looked like for me was I was an active member of a church, and I wasn't invited to my uh, class's senior breakfast because I was an unwed teenage mom. Translation, whore in a dirty skirt. And you know what? No one needed to remind me of that. I was perfectly aware that that's who I was. But then something really cool happened. And it also happens in the book of Lamentations. And again, it's in chapter 2. So flip back to chapter 2. We're back right back at 13 again. And um, after the woman's been speaking for a while... The narrator speaks a new word to the woman. He comforts her, and he calls her virgin daughter Zion. This is one of those places where we're just so different from these people that we're like, okay, I kind of know what virgin means, but there has to be more going on, and there is, and we don't have time to talk about it. So virgin means a lot of stuff. Same with the word filthy. We kind of get filthiness, but we don't, not compared to like what it meant to ancient uh, Hebrews. But you see the power in the two names, Right? Filthy, filthy whore with a dirty skirt and daughter, Zion. What is important here that I don't want you to miss is the narrator speaks a new word to the woman. He speaks a new word to her. He says, all this suffering, this is not the last word about you. All this pain and responsibility you feel, it does not define you does not define you. This failure that is so public and deep, affecting everyone you care about, it's not the end of your story. It's not the end of your story. This fear you have about the future, you do not have to face it alone. The narrator speaks a new word. He gives her a new name and thank God I've experienced this too. And I want nothing more than for you to experience this. So senior year, once again, it's the springtime. I haven't been invited to my class's spring breakfast, whatever. And um, Dave Bartlett, he's going to be here actually in a couple of weeks, he uh, spoke these very words to me. This deep public pain that you're feeling, it doesn't define you. It's not the end of your story. You're not alone. He called me up. And he invited me to breakfast club at Cedar Falls High School. And you know what he said to me? He said, you don't even know me. But some of your friends, they told me you love Jesus. And that you are also an unwed teenage mom. And I would like the kids in my breakfast club to meet you and to hear your story. There's a new word that's ready to be spoken over people. And we get to be a part of it. And it's powerful And it changes things I want you to turn to Ephesians 1 9 and 10 so if you're at Lamentations it's like more than halfway back there if you uh, find Galatians it goes Galatians Ephesians Philippians Colossians so you could say like goats eat paper cups or something like that when you're trying to find it Ephesians 1 9 all right so we're talking about a new word spoken and this is what it says he, this is Paul talking. Sorry if you're not there. Um, he made known to us, that's God, made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. So God's going to be really happy about something. Which he proposed in Christ, so it's about Jesus, to be put into effect when the time reaches their fulfillment. Just skip over that. This is the great part. To bring unity to all Things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So we gotta say some things about that. This is my definition, this is my reading. Paul says it pleases God. When Jesus, the word of God takes everything, your past, your present, all of your history, all of your pain, all of your grief, without leaving out any of the horrible parts and he makes something new because that's what Jesus does. All things, everything, all things in heaven and on earth are made new in Jesus. And that's why we're here. That's why we worship. That's why we praise. That's why we have a hope within us. He takes unwed teenage moms who can't feel their feels, and just because it makes them happy, he has them come, he has me come and talk to you about what I'm learning about lamentation. That's a new word about me. But you need to know something about hearing a new word. It takes some time to sink in. You can't just say a new word about somebody who's been called a whore with a dirty skirt once. That old name, it's hard to shake. Even when no one else sees you that way, it's hard for you to shake. And I carried that name longer than even I knew. I was 30 years old before I got rid of that name once and for all. I don't want you guys to wait that long. I want you to know that like, you can make a difference in somebody's life just like Dave did when he invited me into this new story that Jesus was writing about me. So the band's gonna come up and you guys are gonna have a few minutes to think about um, just where you are with this stuff. Is there any space in your life? Is there any space in your life for you to experience the pain, grief, loss, the kind of stuff that's going on with you? And what about the people around you? I mean, look at the news. Is there a new way we need to interpret the way people are responding to pain, grief, and loss? What would it look like for us to become more aware of other people's pain, the way they're responding to life? Do you have some honest emotions? Grief, pain, loss, whatever, failure, boredom, apathy, anger that you need to direct towards God? Do you have a place where you can do that out loud? And do you need a compassionate listener because I'm pretty sure that's what this community is about. It's what we want our churches to be about. And maybe you could be a compassionate listener for someone else, and maybe you could be a compassionate listener for each other. And do you need a new word spoken over you Do you need a new word from this honest lament in your life? Is it time for a new name? Are you ready to be called beloved, child, forgiven, set free? Do you have the courage to let Jesus take all of you, all of your story, all of your history, and make something new? Just think about those things as uh, we listen to a little bit of music, and then we just get to pour out our thanks to God that he tells a new story. We pray with me really quick? God, thank you for being the rescuer. Thank you uh, that we can't understand your ways, but you tell us over and over again that you are love and that you have the power to give us a new name and to rewrite our story without leaving any of the bad parts out. Thanks for being a God that's present and with us. In Jesus' name, amen.